ask you to uh, turn uh, to Philippians chapter 4 in your Bibles, please. If you do not have a Bible, just raise your hand and uh, somebody will get you one. I'm going to be in Philippians chapter 4 this morning. And I'm going to uh, actually ask if you could uh, stand as we, as we read God's word. <clears throat> and when I know you're standing, I know we're ready to get started reading. So if you don't have it, don't stand up. But if you do have it, stand up. Because sometimes, you know, people say, say amen when you're ready, and they just be turning to it. They don't even be ready for it. Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. All right. So here we go. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown stand firm, thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Eodia, and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose name are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness, 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 here we go. Be made known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. God, thank you uh, for our time together today. God, I pray that as I'm up here, God, that uh, you will be glorified. I pray, God, that we will make much of Christ. I pray, God, that we will... Uh, repent of any sins, God, and I pray um, that the gospel will clearly be seen and that the love and the grace that you have prepared for us will be accepted. In your son, Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, you can have a seat. In the uh, 1980s, uh, there was a, a popular gaming system that came out, and it wasn't Atari. What gaming system is that? Nintendo. All right, the most famous and popular game on the Nintendo is, this is probably subjective, but Donkey Kong, I hear Donkey Kong, what else? Mario Kart, something else. All right, okay, so stop. What's the most popular Nintendo game? All right, here we go, Mario, Super Mario Brothers. All right, so of course, uh, Super Mario, or, or Mario rather, is on a mission to save the princess, whose name is, is it Peach? I was thinking Peaches. That's how you know you've been in the hood too long. <laughs> so her name is Peach, um, and he's trying to save her. Uh, that's, that's his mission, and he goes on this journey, and he's going through different levels, all right? So let's see how many people actually know the game. So throughout the game, he's jumping, and he's, uh, you know, hitting these boxes, and these boxes have certain things within them that give him certain abilities, right? So if he... Uh, gets a mushroom, then he gets, gets taller, he gets bigger, all right? And then if he gets a, a flower, what happens to him? Fire, all right? What's you say, Matt? All right, fireball. Thank you. Um, all right, and then he, then he uh, it's possible that when he gets something, he becomes invincible, right? He starts running through everything, and the music gets, what's that? The star, right? The music gets faster 
and he's like absolutely invincible. So you have these little, I don't know what they're called for real, but like I call them big ants, right? And so they're, they're coming and he can like run straight through them and they fall off the screen and you know, he's, he, he's untouchable. He cannot be touched. Well, hmm? Okay, except if he falls, yeah, sure. Uh, other than that, he's invincible. Well, this is sometimes how a lot of Christians like to approach the Christian life, as if being a Christian puts this force field around them that makes them invincible, that makes them untouchable, and means that there is absolutely nothing that can happen to them bodily that will harm them. I, I, I saw a conversation where uh, that happened in Atlanta where this guy was talking to somebody and he was, you know, telling him of a, a real imminent uh, threat that could possibly happen. And the guy said, well, that will happen to you because I'm a Christian. It won't happen to me. Well, he was wrong, right? In this life, the reality is that we go through different trials. We go through different hardships. We go through different phases in life that challenge us on all types of different levels. And it's not because we are less holy or less spiritual than anyone, but it's the reality of life that we deal with, right? So even Jesus said that you will have problems and trouble in this world, but take heart. Why? because I've overcome the world, all right? So uh, we're in Philippians this morning, and, 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 and the text is simply talking about joy and having joy in the Christian life. And I say it's simply talking about that, uh, but the truth of the matter is that's not a simple thing to fight for and attain all the time, right? So Philippians, Paul started uh, this church, uh, you can read this in, in Acts, on his second missionary journey. Uh, and at this point, Paul is in prison. Uh, a lot of people believe that this is where he was in um, Roman imprisonment meaning, imprisonment, meaning that he was chained to uh, a Roman soldier. And he writes this letter uh, to this church, and it's probably made up of mostly Greeks because there weren't uh, many Jews that were right there in that area. So he's writing to them because they're worried about him naturally, right? He's in prison. You know, you got a lot of Christians that are being um, tormented at this time, and they're under a lot of persecution. So he's writing to this group of people and saying, like, hey, I'm okay. As a matter of fact, because I'm in prison, it's a lot of these people uh, who are working here who are getting saved, right? So he starts off in verse 1, I mean, I'm chapter 1, uh, saying that, and, and he reminds them that he who began a good work in you will completed, reminding them of the beauty of salvation and saying that God is not only a God who saves, but a God who will keep as well, right? So we go on to, to chapter two, and he's telling them how to be, uh, how to be humble. Isn't that what you preached on, Eric? You said, you said that uh, it's a song going on, and the chorus says, sit down, be humble, amen? And, and, <laughs> and, and, and Paul is telling them how uh, to be humble like Christ is humble, and telling them how Christ condescended and came down in the form of a human so that he may teach us humility and so that he may redeem us. And I'm kind of giving a fly view um, overview of these chapters right now. Then he gets to chapter three. So our text this morning starts off with, um, therefore, my brothers whom I love, love and long for, my joy and crown stand for firm dust in the Lord, my beloved. So some of us have been taught that whenever you see a therefore, you need to go and see why it is there for. It's deep, ain't it? All right. So in the end of, of, of chapter three, um, Paul says this. He says, um, 
He's talking about uh, false teachers, and he says that their end is destruction. Their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. And he says this, he says, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. So Paul, in, 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 in these short four chapters, in encouraging the Philippian church. And in, in, in a sense, this is a thank you letter because they did something for him that he was going all crazy about at the beginning of the letter. But he's also reminding them of the very gospel that saves and, he, and that keeps them. And so he reminds them that, hey, once you leave here, you are going to be transformed and you will get a new body. Sometimes when, we, when, we're, when we're talking about the gospel, uh, we often, you know, forget that part, right? So we know that, that, that we're sinners and we know that Jesus came to die for our sins. But in the end, God will resurrect our bodies and will transform our bodies. It's called glorification. So right now, uh, that's, that's something that will happen. So we're kind of living in the already, but not yet. And so as Paul is saying this, he goes to say, because of this, let me tell you some things that you should do. So as we go through the text today, I want you to think of, of this is the best thing that I could think of right now. Uh, but think of kind of like a burger in a sense, right? So you have the two ends on, on the outside, and then you have uh, what's going on in the middle, whatever you like in the middle, right? Um, so this is kind of like the first part of, of or the top bun of, of this burger. God will transform our lowly bodies. That's something that God will do, right? That's something, that's, that's his responsibility. That's something that God will do. And so because of that, he says this. He says, um, I entreat Eodia and I entreat Syntyche and the Lord. So he, he, he begins his, his discourse or, or, or this chapter with a seemingly unusual request. So don't, don't forget, we're talking about joy. We're talking about uh, what it means and how uh, to fight for joy and what joy looks like, right? And so he starts off saying that he wants these people to agree. He's calling for the reconciliation of two women within the church. Now, what these women were beefing about, we have absolutely no idea. And, I'm, and, and honestly, I'm grateful for that because that means that we can plug in, for the most part, whatever situation's in there, and it will work for us, right? So they could have been beefing over whether or not pineapples belong on pizza. If they do belong, I'm going to raise your hand. Praise God, you are blessed. <laughs> if not, you need to go repent, seek God, but pineapples do belong on peace. So they could have been arguing over that. They could have been beefing over a man in the church. We got to remember that this stuff in the Bible actually happened, right? So these were people's, people who had actual and real feelings, and so certain situations could have actually happened. So they could have been beefing over a man. Uh, they could have been beefing over whose lives matter. Do Greek lives matter? Do Jews' lives matter? Do Samaritans' lives matter? lives matter? Do all lives matter? Y'all see what I did there? So if, 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 if you're comfortable, then praise Jesus, because we're going to stay right here for just a second. We're going to put it in part. Uh, but if you're, uncom if you're uncomfortable, then rejoice, and again, I say rejoice. Amen? So right now, here's the reality of the situation. You are sitting in a multicultural and a multiracial church. Everyone can see, right? Look around right quick. Because we do see color, okay? All right? <laughs> You're sitting in a church that is multiracial. 
And a lot of people sometimes use the term multicultural church, which I think is good, but uh, you can have multicultural in same race institutions, right? So take my marriage, for example. Wave your hand. uh, Raise your hand, wife. Look at all pretty and stuff on that front row supporting her husband. So we're, we're married. Both of us are black, obviously, right? But the cultures that we come from are completely different. I come from what you would call the country, right? So where, I'm co- where I come from, uh, when <laughs> growing up, it was about 5,000 people that lived in my city. Everyone knew everyone, right? So if you get into a fight at the basketball court or the park, your parents knew by the time you made it home. Like, that's just how it was. Jody, she loves coming home with me, but at the same time, she already knows what time it is when she comes home. Whenever we go to the store, whenever we go to the gas station, more than likely, I'm going to run into somebody that I know, and we'll start chopping it up and, and catching up. And she's just kind of over there like, good grief, like I knew that this was going to happen. I should have stayed at the house. And then you have Jody, who is also black, obviously, but Jody is Jamaican, and she grew up in Yonkers, New York, right? So if you went to her family's house, and and some of you have met her family, when they start talking and conversing with one another, it's highly likely that you will not understand what they are saying. Anybody ever seen Cool Runnings, the movie? It's like that on steroids. Like, you have absolutely no idea. Like, sometimes even now they're talking to me, and I'm just like, I have no idea what you're saying. So it's just, you know, smile or not. Yeah. How's marriage going? Is it terrible? Yeah. Yeah. It's going. Yeah. And, and in some ways, the, the value systems um, uh, that, that our family have are completely in polar opposite. You know, her, a lot of her family, they're, they're Christians, and, and uh, that's not the case for me. But my point is that even in same-race institutions like marriage or the church, there can be different cultures. So the, it's good to be in a church that's multiracial. In a sense, you know, we can say that this is kind of a dress rehearsal for heaven, right? Because there are, are different uh, cultures, there are different uh, races and ethnicities that are represented here. And so uh, they show a glimpse of what heaven would look like. But at the same time, this isn't to put churches like ours on a pedestal and, me- and mark them as a standard or rebuke anyone who is not in a church like this, because the reality of the situation is churches like ours have their own unique set of challenges and issues, right? So not only do we have differences, irrespective of race, but on top of that, we also have to deal with the reality that we are a church that is made up of different races. Now, right now, unless you have been living under a rock, there is a, a, a lot of, of tension that's going on in our country right now centered around race. If you do live under a rock, there is a lot of tension that's going on in our country right now that is centered around race. And I won't go into details about political issues or media's influence, but I do want to address our response to one another since we are a church that is racially diverse. And this is something that, that we value and that we love about our church. But at the same time, it would make us susceptible to being crept on by the creeper. That's just my way of saying the devil will attack us. I just like the, the literary, you know. But we are susceptible to being attacked by the enemy because we are a church that is multiracial. So I want to uh, take some time just to address ways that we can um, interact with one another, even with our differences, right? So this is actually the first point of what uh, I believe that Paul is getting at here, and that, that is, uh, there is joy found in community, right? So if you're taking notes, that's the first point. Joy 
is found in community. How do we relate to one another? How do we interact with one another, even with our differences? Well, the first point that I'd like to submit to you, considering how we relate to one another, is that we listen to each other. We listen to each other. And we don't just listen for the sake of listening, but we listen to understand. You know, you know what some people's problem is in life? Is that they have all the questions and ain't nobody asked them a single question. I mean, they have all the answers, ain't nobody asked them a single question. That means that, you know, when you're talking to them, all of them automatically, like, they're just giving you all of this, this information. It's like, yo, I'm not necessarily looking for that right now. I'm just, <laughs> I just need you to, to, to listen to me. I just need you to hear me right now. I don't need statistics that are probably messed up anyway. But I don't need all of this stuff right now. I just, I just need for you uh, to listen to me. James, in the book of James, he says, be slow to speak and quick to, to listen or to hear. There's a reason that James is, is dubbed as a, 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 a wisdom literature by some people. It's a, it's a reason that James is marked as the book of practicality. We gain a lot when we sit down and simply try to understand someone's perspective. So this is not to say that we would always agree with it, but we do know and understand or try to understand where they're coming from. As a, as a newly married man, I can uh, admit that this can be quite difficult. And it doesn't matter whether or not you're married. All you got to do is have a, a friendship or relationship with somebody. Um, but since I just got married, this is kind of like obvious, right? It's, it's, it's difficult to sit down and listen because it takes humility. This is what, what, what Paul was talking about in chapter 2. And you can go back and read that. But it takes humility that we don't have or have the desire sometimes or the strength to muster up. Do you know how hard it is to not correct someone when, when they're just sitting there talking and they're, what they're saying is wrong? It's difficult. Do you know that internal cringe when somebody is giving you facts and they're completely wrong and you just got to sit there and listen? It's difficult. And I'm not saying that we don't care about truth or that we don't care about, you know, getting things right. But I am saying take some time to just to just listen for a second and, 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 and be quiet. It's difficult, but nevertheless, if we're going to be a church that is seeking to be united, then we must attempt to do some things that are difficult and that we naturally don't want to do. This is a, a sign of maturity to be on the opposite side of an argument, yet feel genuine compassion for the other party. H.P. Charles puts it this way. He says, our job as Christians is to mourn with those who mourn, not judge whether or not they're mourning. Something that takes real maturity. And in that, this is something that's difficult. Like, this is something that's difficult to do. And you don't, listening to someone doesn't, doesn't um, contradict inherently your values and your convictions. Just listening to someone doesn't do that with, within itself. It doesn't cost you anything but your time and your humility and patience to li listen to someone. I'm not saying that we should go against our convictions. I'm not saying that we should go against, you know, even what we feel is truth. But I am saying that it would uh, serve the church and someone else well to just sit down and listen to them. Um, we all have, and so one hope, that's a, the ministry that, that we have here. Uh, Joel, Stephanie, and I. And uh, one thing that we try to do is to remind people and or even tell them that they have intrinsic value. That means that within them, they have this innate value 
that God has given them because they are image bearers and made in the image of God. As an image bearer, someone has the, uh, the worth of being listened to in the same way that you do, right? So that's the first sub point. So, so joy is found in community and how do we uh, pursue community? First, we listen. Secondly, put yourself in their shoes. And in other words, remember when you were the offender or the offended. Am I making sense? Y'all tracking with me? All right. When you truly understand that you wronged someone, that realization is usually followed by a sense of sorrow. So much of a sorrow sometimes that them saying, I forgive you, doesn't always move you. Paul was aware of this when he wrote to the church at Corinth. He says, this is in 2 Corinthians, he says, now if anyone has caused pain, he has caused it not to me, but in some measure, not to put it too severely, but to all of you. For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough. Check this out. So you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him. Why does Paul say turn and comfort him? He says, or he may be overwhelmed with, with excessive sorrow. So I beg you to reaffirm your love for him. Now, he doesn't say it explicitly, but it's probable that he's talking about the man in, in 1 Corinthians 5. You remember the man who was, who was sleeping with his, uh, with his father's wife, who we for our own sake hoped that it was his stepmom? Um, and, 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 and they, the, the, the church at Corinth were, um, were boasting in how gracious they were. And Paul said, no, this man is an unrepentant sin. Like y'all need to handle that. And then it's probable that he's talking about him here where he says, okay, now turn around and embrace this brother so that he won't be overwhelmed with, a, with excessive sorrow because he did offend you. But at the same time, he is still a, a, a human being that has value and that has feelings. And the reality of the situation is we're naturally wired to feel bad about things that we do. So y'all need to go ahead and wrap your arms around that brother. Even if that is not the case, if that isn't the case, um, it's a beautiful and amazing display of the reality of distress, regret, and anguish that someone feels when they sin against someone. When you are offended, Remember when you were the offender. And if you fail to recall such an example of hurting another human being, think about when you sinned against God and how heartbroken you were because of it. On the other hand, if you are the offender, remember how you felt when you were offended. Although you may have been quick to forgive, more than likely there was still a piece of you that was still hurt. As human beings, we are made to remember things. So there's a good chance that you remember a feeling that you felt or an emotion triggered whenever you're reminded of a particular event in life. As an offender, be patient with who you've offended. Pray that the Lord will heal them and continue to be gracious to all those who are involved. The last point uh, when it comes to how we relate to one another is remember that reconciliation is not always easy. In some cases, it looks much differently than we think that it should, and I believe that there is wisdom in those cases. It's not always pretty when reconcilia reconciliation happens. The process, pursuit, and journey towards it can be just as ugly and painful as the initial offense. This discomfort can easily make us want to give up, throw in the towel. Sometimes when we hear people talk, like I'm talking right now, it's annoying because it seems idealistic, right? Like, yeah, we're supposed to be doing that, but it's hard. And I'd like to remind you that your Savior, before he left in his high priestly prayer, asked that we would be united just as he and his Father were united. You see, if Jesus were to tell us this, 
and then went on to be at odds with his father, we would be perfectly justified in not having any kind of hope in this. Now, I also like to remind you that we've experienced the greatest reconciliation that could have ever taken place. God, with his holy self, reconciled a dead, unholy, spiteful, sinful, self-righteous, unforgiving, y'all know yourselves, keep plugging in stuff there, to himself. That's the greatest reconciliation that could have ever taken place, and we trust the eternity of our soul with it. So, ladies and gentlemen, reconciliation is not always easy, but with the help of God, it is possible. So, first, joy is found in what? In community. And these are ways that we just uh, talked about how we can pursue community. Secondly, joy is found in continually rejoicing. Paul says, rejoice, and again I say, rejoice. I love how we see a rich history being repeated and instilled in children and reminded to adults all throughout the Old Testament. In Psalm 90, the one that Moses wrote, he starts off saying, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. If by definition... Rejoicing is feeling or showing great joy and delight. Then an aspect of rejoicing is often remembering what God has done for you in the past. It's so easy to be consumed with the current situation rather than taking a moment to just step back and to thank God for what he has already done. In the midst of trials, Paul represents the remedy of rejoicing through it. The structure of the wording that Paul uses here is similar to that of his letter to the Galatian church. Galatians 1, he says, uh, oh, I'm sorry, here he says rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say rejoice. To the Galatians, he said, but even if we are an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be a curse or set apart for destruction. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you receive, let him be a curse. Within two verses, Paul uh, repeated his thoughts. Why did it fall why did Paul feel the need to repeat himself? Maybe because this is a point that we need to be reminded of. Maybe because this is something that's important. How often are we discouraged in life? How often are we weighed down by decisions that we need to make? How often are we weighed down by bad, bad decisions that we have made and mistakes that we've made? How often do uh, we feel like we're stuck in a rut or, or, or our thoughts consume us and we remove any hope for ourselves? Paul, being aware of this, tells us to rejoice in the Lord. And this is nothing new. And in Psalm 42, David had, a uh, David had a whole conversation with his soul. Things are better when you put hole in front of it. People are like, y'all going out this weekend? You going out this weekend, Trail? I got a whole wife at the crib, man. I can't be going out with y'all this weekend. What about tomorrow? I got a whole appointment with the neurosurgeon tomorrow. I can't be going out with y'all. David says this. He says, um, after just referring to God as his joy, David said, why are you cast down, O oh my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me, hoping God for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. One theologian says this uh, about David. He said, having committed his cause to the Lord, he succeeds for the last time in appeasing his troubled soul. To many people, this may sound uh, like positive affirmation. You know, when you stand in front of the mirror and you say, I am this, I am that. You are cute, you are bold, you are strong. And there's nothing that's necessarily wrong with positive affirmation, but when in positive affirmation, the, the focus revolves around the individual. What I'm talking about here is looking 
outside and past yourself and look into God. That's, that's, what, that's what Paul is calling us to do. That's, that's what David has, has done here. And so being that this can seem idealistic and being that this can seem like something that's impossible, I invite you to, to, to wrestle as you fight for joy. I invite you to read through the Psalms where a lot of Psalms are often starting off with God, you are great, God, you are mighty, and talking about the attributes of God, and then they get to the third or fourth verse, and it's like, God, what in the world you got me going through right now? Like, I recognize who you are. I recognize what you've done. I recognize things that you said you will do, but right now I do not feel good. This is a human natural feeling that other people in the scriptures have felt in these Feelings have been left for us to be encouraged by. Amen? So, therefore, our encouragement, and I invite you to, to find peace in them. And that actually leads to the third point in which I think that Paul is getting at here. Verses uh, 6 and 7 say, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Do me a favor. Raise your hand if you've ever failed that first part about do not be anxious about anything. All right, some of y'all need to stop lying. Raise your hand. All right, you can put them down. <laughs> One day, uh, death was walking. Death was walking towards this town. And, and, and he saw a guy along the way, and the guy said, where are you going? Death said, I'm going to kill some folks. The guy said, why? Death said, that's because, he said, that's because that's what I do, right? I kill people. He said, by the, the end of the day, uh, I'm going to kill 100 people. So the man um, naturally went to the city and told people, hey, death is on its way, and it's going to come and kill 100 people. By the end of the day, 1,000 people were dead. So the same guy running to death, he runs into death at the end of the day, and he says, I thought you said you were going to kill 100 people. 1,000 people are dead. And death said, I only killed 100. Worry and anxiety killed the rest of them. <laughs> Yo, worry and anxiety is something that is real, and it has uh, very real implications and effects on our bodies, right? So worrying and anxiety uh, can, can physically speak, and it's just physically. I'm not being deep right now. It's just being, all right? It, it can cause, you know, blood circulation to, to be altered, which causes some issues to some, some other organs. And I believe that God cares about our bodies, right? And so uh, for one reason, Paul tells us to don't be anxious about anything for our own personal health, I believe. But then there's also the spiritual aspect of it as well. I remember growing up hearing the old head say, you're going to worry me to death. And that's something that actually, I get it. <laughs> the older I get, the more I understand uh, that saying. Jesus himself said the same thing. When he spoke on this, he reminded us of our value as human beings by pointing to objects and life forms that we often overlook. Jesus said that if God gives the birds something to eat, then he will most definitely provide needs for humanity. But once again, what is the way that God works? He works through our prayers. If you did not believe this, then some of you wouldn't pray as much as you pray. If we didn't believe this as a church, we wouldn't spend so much time praying as a church. When, uh, the, the prayer confession, uh, the, the pastoral prayer that normally happens here. Uh, when we gather together the first Sunday of every month, um, 
uh, the staff and the interns every morning pray through a list about five different categories with hopes that we can scratch off these prayer requests, believing that God has answered these questions. We don't do all of this just to say that we do it, but we do it because we believe that God can answer prayers. This morning, Joel is preaching uh, on the Lord's Prayer, and he said something that, um, that, I, that I stole, and that's this. Our prayers accomplish nothing. We are, we are weak, right? There's nothing that we can make happen. But Jesus, through Jesus, to God, is the strong one who answers our prayers, right? So that's, that's why we pray, because we actually believe that God answers our prayers. We pray to the all-powerful one who has the ability to answer our prayers and provide us with what we need. But what happens when God doesn't answer our prayers? Because there are times where this happens. So we, 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 we don't have the theology of you get whatever you want and pray for and, and what you ask for. That's something that's not true. That's something that's, that's, that's unbiblical and something that has caused uh, people to, to turn away uh, from the faith. We don't believe that. So what happens when he doesn't? I'm pretty sure that time wouldn't permit if I went around and asked every single person, now how, how has God not been answering your prayers? We'll be here all day if that were the case because it doesn't always happen. We believe that God is powerful. We, we believe that God can do things, but we also believe that God is God, right? So what happens when this doesn't happen? And some of these unanswered prayers cause you to question God's goodness, especially when someone who seems to be the least deserving has experienced a different outcome than what you prayed for. Sunday evening at our prayer service, we heard a wonderful testimony from, from Pastor Gaines and his wife. She was diagnosed with cancer, and her husband naturally was taking care of her, running all around, doing what he could for her. And then a couple of months later, he found out that he had cancer. And so they started going through treatment together. Uh, they were there for one another. They said that they were, they were treated like royalty at the facility that they were at. And, and, and now uh, they are cancer-free, and they'll be, um, you know, going in a couple of times of the year to, to go and, you know, get, the, uh, get checked for that. But that's an amazing testimony, right? They, they were both diagnosed with cancer, uh, went through treatment together, and now they are cancer-free, and we praise God for that. But what happens when their result is not the same as a result for ourselves or our loved ones? How do we, how do we feel then, and what do we do with that? And in a sense, you want to rejoice at the person's story, but can't help but to think of your loved one. That bitterness starts to creep in, and you feel this feeling of numbness and apathy for the things of God. My friends, during these times, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind. It may not seem like it. You may not feel like it. But although hurt and confused, why haven't you completely lost faith in him yet? Why do you still come around? Why haven't you cursed God? Could it be that even in the midst of your pain, even though it definitely doesn't feel like it, that God is giving you peace? Similar to what I said about the Psalms earlier, you are in good, in good company. Remember Job, the man who lost it all, and a lot of people uh, point to him as this figure that we should be like. Um, and his friends came to his side, 
and they wrestled with them. Shout out for good friends who come through you or come to your side when you're in the mud and you feel like you know, you're stuck in a rut. Uh, but they didn't give him the best counsel, so be like them, but don't be like them all the way. After they talked and tried to figure things out, God spoke to Job. And for four chapters, God asked Job a bunch of rhetorical questions. These questions clearly stated who was running things and who wasn't running things, right? So God said, were you there? And he started laying out all this stuff that clearly God had did and Job had absolutely nothing to do with. And by the end of this, Job had no choice but to just repent and say, all right, you got it. Led him to a posture of humility and to trust God even when he didn't feel like it. This is the peace that we fight for and that we find joy in. Not that everything is fine, but we trust a God who we believe makes no mistakes and isn't to be held on trial. So what does this look like? Y'all remember those, those three Hebrew boys in the Old Testament um, who were asked to um, go against what they believed and, and bow? Shatrach, Meshach, and Abednego. In black church, we call them Shatrach, Meshach, and a bad Negro. <laughs> but these people were asked uh, to do something that they didn't want to do. Um, and they said, yo, throw us in the fire. Throw us in it. We believe that God can save us, but if he doesn't, we still believe in God. This is the kind of, this, this, this piece that Paul is talking about, it's not something that's new. It's something that we have examples of in the Old Testament, right? We see where they were thrown in, and of course, you know, the angel of the Lord came in, and he went through the trial with them. He was there, right there in the midst of their trial. God does not always save us from our trials, but God is most definitely always there with us. August 29th, I took Joe, that was her first day of work. I took her to work. I left my phone at home. It was a Tuesday. I get home and I see this text message um, from, it was actually forwarded um, from my sister. My sister wrote the initial text message, sent it to somebody and they forwarded it to me. And my sister had, at this point had been in the hospital for a week. She had already had uh, pre-existing um, conditions, but she's in the hospital for a week. And she sent my dad a message saying, I don't know how much fight I have left in me. I'm looking at my phone, if you know me a little bit, like me and my sister, like that's my, that's my ace boom. We're very good, we're very close. <laughs> so, <laughs> you're welcome. We're very close. And I'm looking at this message and I'm, I'm, I'm in denial, you know, because she's saying this. And so I started doing, I started, playing cards or something. I don't know what I started doing. And this was a Tuesday. By Wednesday, I was on the plane and I was headed there. And as I'm on the plane, I'm, I'm reminded of this scripture that, you know, God gives us peace that surpasses all understanding. All right, so I get down there and my sister is, <laughs> my sister is in the worst shape that I've ever seen her in before, like in my life. Um, so she had a, a bowel obstruction and so everything that she was supposed to pass, you know, on the stool, she was throwing up. And, like, so she was, like, literally, like, for I, I was there Wednesday uh, and Thursday, and I left Friday morning. And so my whole time there, she was throwing up this substance, uh, a, a dark green-brown substance, right, that was supposed to be passed to her. And, and, and she was losing weight because at that point she hadn't eaten 
in a week. And uh, it was hard, right? It's my, it's my, my only biological sister. Um, we're close, and, and man, that was hard for me to see. And for the, the most of the time that I was down there, she wasn't, she didn't have enough strength to talk. So she was writing down everything to communicate. <clears throat> and Thursday night, she mustered up enough strength, because I had to leave Friday. Uh, because it was it was Jody's uh, birthday weekend, and I already had you know stuff planned for her. So Thursday night, she mustered up enough strength to say, "I wish you didn't have to leave me. I wish you can stay here and take care of me." Yo, <laughs> you talking about hard? You talking about mourning with those who mourn, and in the same weekend having to rejoice with those who are rejoicing and celebrating a birthday? Yo. That was, the most, that was the most difficult decision I had to make, was to, to leave my sister like in that state. But I left, and Jody and I went and celebrated her birthday, and it was, it was, it was we, had, we enjoyed ourselves. We had fun. But the whole time, naturally, I'm ready to go back to see my sister, spend time with her, and to be with her and comfort her in whatever ways that I can or, or that I could. And... Um, so I came back Friday. Jody and I went away for her birthday. We came back. We were here for church Sunday, Sunday evening prayer service. Monday, I'm playing basketball. And as many of you know, uh, got a bad headache, went into the hospital, and uh, found out that there was bleeding, you know, that was going on in my brain. So I'm, I'm in the hospital for a couple of days, and the only thing that I can really think about is my sister right now, right? Um, and it took a couple of days for me to tell her what was going on with me because I didn't want to, you know, put so much on her right now because she's already weak. And I finally told her, and uh, a lot of you guys came to see me, but there was this one pastor friend who came in particular. And this man, in his prayer, had the nerve to pray, Lord, I pray that Montreal won't be anxious for anything. Y'all, I was so mad. I was so upset that he prayed, I'm sitting over here in pain. I'm ready to go down here and check on my sister. And this man had the nerve to pray the scriptures. <laughs> Yo, I was so upset. And then I stepped back and I started to see what God had already done even through that situation, right? Because I could have very well had gotten that headache when I was leaving my sister, driving back up to the airport. And I could have ended up crashing on a highway and something else could have happened. I could have stayed down there and not been at Johns Hopkins, which is arguably the best, definitely the top three best hospitals to be in when it comes to neuro neurology. And, and, and the way that even when I went to the hospital, the Lord opened up doors through, uh, through certain people to where, you know, I was kind of given this, this priority, even through all of the, 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 the difficulties and even through all of the, the confusion and the pain and through the trials, the Lord was still working and had worked on my behalf. Y'all, I struggled when I was in the hospital. I ain't gonna lie to you. I'm questioning God all kind of different. Everything that I'm telling y'all, like I'm wrestling, I wrestled through, this ain't me saying, hey, I've arrived, y'all listen to me. This is me wrestling through it myself. This is me still wrestling and, 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 and asking questions about different things that I really just don't quite understand. And I invite you to wrestle with me and believe that it's not always all good, but we do know a God who is in control and who does things for his glory. Now, that's what you're supposed to say, but that's something that I actually believe as well, even though I don't understand all of it. 
So I believe that when we trust God, we also rest in the peace that he provides for us. Is it easy? Not at all. Check this out. The Christian life is not easy, but it's a life that is spent, that is constantly fighting. We're always fighting. We're fighting to, to have this unity. We're fighting to rejoice again and continue to rejoicing. We're fighting for joy and the peace of God. Why, does, why, why, does, why did Paul start off with, I, I implore these two sisters to get it together? Maybe it's so that we can encourage one another in these different things. See, if, if, if we're divided and if, we, um, if we're not on the same page, if we're not coming to church, then that's something that we can't, and we're not in uh, communion with one another, that's something that we cannot do. Hebrews calls us to encourage one another as long as it is called today. Yo, being unified isn't always agreeing on every single, every single point. That's not what being unified is. But we do pursue unity holistically, you know, as it comes to our relationship with one another. Meaning that I can disagree that LeBron James is the best basketball player ever. Yo, we can disagree right there. But when it comes to how we view God, yo, yo, we, 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 we got to be on the same, we got to be unified. We got to be pursuing unity for our own sanity so that we may be encouraged by one another. Ladies and gentlemen, the Christian life is not easy, but it is a life that is spent constantly fighting. Amen? Let's pray. God, thank you for our time here together today. God, I pray that we, uh, even when it's hard, even when it's difficult, um, even when we feel like there is no hope, God, I pray that we will fight for joy. God, if there is anything that, that I didn't communicate well today, I pray that your Holy Spirit will encourage and comfort the hearts of people who are fighting for joy, people who are struggling with whether or not you love them. God, I pray that you will meet them right there in their struggle, God, and wrestle with them. God, I pray that we'll pursue unity. God, I pray that we will uh, continue to rejoice, God, and I pray that we will fight to find joy and peace. Yes, son, in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.